Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories, and our second story from Michigan author Clara Dillingham Pearson. She was a teacher in the Chicago area and taught at Alma College, becoming superintendent of the college's training department. She became a highly successful children's author, with her most popular books being about animals and even insects that shared very human attributes. You might remember the story we did at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales called The Night Moth with the Crooked Veeler. If you haven't caught that one yet, be sure you do. Every story she does offers a lesson in morals that has applications for all ages. These fit easily into the home and hearth genre, which makes them a great candidate for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. And now, The Bay Colt Learns to Mind, by Clara Dillingham Pearson. The span of bays were talking together in their stalls, and the other horses were listening. That was one trouble with living in the barn. You couldn't say anything to your next-door neighbor without somebody else hearing. The farmer had solid walls between the stalls, with openings so far back that no horse could get his head to them without breaking his halter. This had been done to keep them from biting each other, and as nobody but the dappled gray ever thought of doing such a thing, it was rather hard on the rest. It made it difficult for the mothers to bring up their children properly, for after a colt was old enough to have a stall to himself, his mother had to call out her advice and warning so loudly that everybody could hear. And you know it is not well to reprove a child before company if it can be helped. Indeed, it was this very question that was troubling the span of bays now. Each of them had a two-year-old colt, and they knew that it was nearly time for the farmer to put these colts to work. The span of bays were sisters, so of course their children were cousins, and they were all very fond of each other, and of the blind horse, who was the uncle of the bays, and the great-uncle of the bay colt, and the gray colt. "'I am worried about the bay colt,' said his mother. "'Since he was brought into the barn last fall, and had a stall away from me, he's gotten into bad ways. I've told him again and again that he must not nibble the edge of the manger. Yet the first thing I heard this morning was the grating of his teeth on the wood. "'Well,' said his aunt, "'you know he is teething, and that may be the reason.' "'That is no excuse,' said his mother, sternly. "'He's been teething ever since he was five days old, "'and he will not cut his last tooth for three years yet. "'I don't call it goodness to keep from cribbing "'when you don't want to crib, "'and the time to stop is now.' Besides, if he waits until he has all his teeth, he won't be able to break himself of the habit when he does try. That is so, said his aunt, and he will ruin his teeth, too. Pooh! exclaimed the bay colt, who had heard what they were saying. I can stop whenever I want to, and they're my own teeth, anyway. It isn't anybody else's business if I ruin them. There, said his mother to his aunt. You see what I mean? That is just the way he talks all the time. "'Now what would you do?' <laughs> "'Let him alone,' snorted the dappled gray. "'Let him alone, and he'll get some horse sense after he's been broken. "'He'll have a hard time of it, but he'll come out all right.' "'The bay colt kicked again against the side of the stall. "'He was so vexed. "'I'll thank you to let me alone,' said he. "'I don't see why everybody tells me what I ought to do. "'I guess I know a thing or two. "'I'll tell you why.' "'said the dappled gray, in a voice that sounded as though he were trying very hard not to lose his temper. 
"'It is because you are young and we like you, "'and we can save you trouble if you mind what we tell you. "'I had lost the black pits in my front teeth before you were born, "'and when a horse has lived long enough to lose the black pits from his front teeth, "'he knows a good deal. "'You don't know a curb bit from a snaffle now, "'but you will learn many things when you are broken, "'a very great many things.' The bay colt tossed his head and did not answer. When he was let out to drink, the dappled gray spoke quickly to his friends. "'We will let him alone,' said he, "'as he wishes. We will not advise him until he asks us to do so.' They were all whinnying yes when the bay colt came back. Then it became so still that you could have heard a stem of hay drop. "'We'll return to our show right after this message from our sponsor.' And now, back to our show. For a few days after this, the bay colt had a very good time. Nobody gave him any advice, and even when he gnawed at the edge of the manger, his mother did not seem to notice it. After he found that she didn't say anything, he didn't gnaw or crib so much. He was such a foolish and contrary young fellow that when people told him not to do a thing, he always wanted to do that thing worse than anything else in the world. His cousin, the gray colt, was not at all like him. She was a gentle little two-year-old whom everybody loved. She was full of fun and was the gayest possible companion in the meadow. Yet when the older horses gave her advice, she always listened and obeyed. The bay colt was very fond of his cousin, but he did like to tease her, and once in the fall... Before they came to stay in the barn, he called her a goody-goody because she wouldn't jump the fence and run away with him. He said she wouldn't do things because she didn't know what fun was. Then she did show that she had a temper, for her brown eyes snapped and her soft lips were raised until she showed all her biting teeth. "'I am not a goody-goody,' she cried, stamping the ground with her pretty little hooves. "'and I just ache to go. "'I feel as though there were ropes that I couldn't see "'pulling me toward that fence every time I think of it. "'But I won't go. "'My mother says that she jumped the fence "'and ran away when she was a colt "'and that she felt as mean as could be afterward. "'I don't care,' said her cousin. "'I'm going anyway, and you can stay at home if you want to. "'Goodbye.' "'He ran and leaped over the fence.' "'and trotted down the road with his head well up "'and his tail in the air. "'And then how the gray colt did want to follow. "'I won't,' she said again. "'I won't do it. "'I'll look the other way and try to forget it. "'But I wish he knew how hard it is to be good sometimes.' "'The next morning the bay colt was in the pasture again. "'The farmer and his man had found him far away "'and led him back.' "'I had a fine time,' he said to his cousin, "'and I don't feel a bit mean. "'I'm going again today. "'But don't you tell.' "'When his mother scolded him as he deserved, "'he just switched his tail "'and thought about something else "'until she stopped talking. "'Then he ran away again. "'The next morning when the great colt saw him, "'he had a queer wooden thing around his neck, "'and fastened to this was a pole "'that stuck out ahead of him. It tired his neck and bothered him when he wanted to run. If he had tried to jump the fence, 
it would have thrown him down. When the gray colt came toward him, he pretended not to see her. He might just as well have looked squarely at her as soon as she came, because, you know, he had to look at her sometime. But he had a mean, slinking, afraid feeling, such as people always have when they've done something wrong and have had time to think about it. Besides, he had changed his mind since the wooden poke had been put on him, and somehow his running away seemed very foolish now. He wondered how he could ever have thought it any fun, and he was so disgusted that he couldn't keep his ears still, but moved them restlessly when he remembered his own silliness. The gray colt was too polite to say anything about his wearing the poke, and she talked about the grass, the sky, the trees, and everything else she could think of. Once she was about to speak of the fence, and then she remembered and stopped short. The bay colt noticed this. "'You might just as well go on,' said he. "'You are very kind, but I know how foolish I've been, and there's no use in keeping still.' "'You were right, and it doesn't pay to jump fences "'for a few minutes of what you think will be fun. "'I feel sick all over when I think about it.' "'It's too bad,' whinnied the gray colt. "'I'm very sorry for you.' "'And what do you think?' said the bay colt. "'I heard the dappled gray say this morning that I was like a pig. "'Imagine a colt being like a pig. "'He said that it didn't make any difference "'on which side of a fence pigs were.' "'They always wanted to be on the other side, "'and that I was just as stupid. "'This was all in the fall, "'before the cold weather had sent them to live in the barn, "'and while the bay colt was wearing the poke, "'he could not well forget the lesson he had learned "'about jumping and running away. "'His mother grew quite proud of him, "'and the dappled gray had been heard to say "'that he might amount to something yet. "'That was a great deal for the dappled gray to say.' "'for although he had a very kind heart, "'he did not often praise people "'and hardly ever said such things about two-year-olds. "'That made it all the harder for him "'when the bay colt became cross over being told to stop cribbing. "'You know there are some colts who learn obedience easily, "'and there are others who have one hard struggle to stop jumping, "'and another to stop cribbing, "'and another to stop kicking, and so on, "'all through their colthood.' The older horses are sorry for them, and try to help them, for they know that neither colt nor horse can really enjoy life until he is trying to do right. To be sure, people sometimes do wrong even then, but if they will take advice and keep on trying, they are certain to turn out well. And now, when the bay colt seemed to have forgotten the lesson he had in the fall, and after he had told the other horses to let him alone, "'Very strange things began to happen. "'The farmer took him from his stall "'and made him open his mouth. "'Then a piece of iron was slipped into it, "'which lay on top of his tongue "'and fitted into the place on each side of his jaw "'where there were no teeth. "'Long lines were fastened to this iron on either side, "'and when he tossed his head and sidled around, "'these lines were gently pulled by the farmer "'and the iron bit pressed down on his tongue. "'The farmer was very kind.' "'but the bay colt did not want the bit in his mouth. "'So he acted as ugly as he knew how, "'and kicked and snapped with his jaws open, "'and tried to run. "'The farmer did not grow angry or cross, "'yet whenever the bay colt showed his temper, 
the bit would press down his tongue and stretch the corners of his mouth until he had to stop. Once in a while the farmer would try to pat him and show him that it was all right, but the bay colt would not have this, and he was a very cross and sweaty two-year-old when he was taken back to his stall. He missed the great colt from her usual place, but soon she came in with one of the farmer's men. She had been driven for the first time also. "'Well, hello,' said he. "'Have you had a bit in your mouth, too? "'Wasn't it dreadful? "'I'm so angry that my hoofs fairly tingled to hit that farmer.' "'It was hard,' said the great colt. "'But the man who drove me was very kind "'and let me rest often. "'He patted me, too, and that helped me to be brave. "'My mother says we won't mind the bit at all "'after we're used to it.' "'Well,' said the bay colt, "'I am never going to be used to it. "'I won't stand it, "'and that is all there is about it.' "'He stamped his hooves "'and looked very important. Two year olds often look quite as important "'as ten-year-olds, "'and they feel much more so. "'The bay colt was rather proud of his feet "'and thought it much nicer to have solid hooves "'than to have them split, "'like those of the cows, the hogs, and the sheep. "'When he said that he would not stand it to be driven,' A queer little sound ran through the stalls. It was like the wind passing over a wheat field, and was caused by the older horses taking a long breath and whispering to themselves. The bay colt's mother was saying, Poor child, what hard work he does make of life. The next day both colts were driven again, and the next day, and the next, and the next. By this time the gray colt was quite used to it, she said she rather enjoyed knowing what the man was thinking, and that she could tell his thoughts by the feeling of the lines, much as she used to understand her mother by rubbing noses when she was a tiny colt. Her cousin, however, had a sore mouth from jerking on the lines, and he couldn't enjoy eating at all. That made it even harder for him, because he got very hungry, and it is not so easy to be sensible when one is hungry. When the great colt learned to walk steadily and turn as the driver wished, she was allowed to draw a light log through the furrows of a field. This tired her, but it made her very proud, and she arched her neck and took the daintiest of steps. It was not necessary that the log should be drawn over the field. Still, she did not know this, and thought it was real work, when it was done only to teach her to pull. The man who was driving her patted her neck and held her nose in his hand. When he stopped to eat an apple, he gave her the core, and she thought she'd never tasted anything so good. As she went back to her stall, she called to the horses near. I've been working. I've drawn a log all around a field. The blind horse spoke softly to her. You will have a happy life, because you are a willing worker. Although the bay colt didn't say anything, he thought a great deal, and about many things. While he was thinking, he began to crib, but the noise of his biting teeth on the wood startled him, and he shook his head and whispered to himself, I will never crib again. When he ate his supper, his sore mouth hurt him, but he didn't whimper. I guess I deserve it, he said to himself. It wouldn't have been sore if I hadn't been steady, like my cousin. The bay colt was growing sensible, very fast. The dappled gray had noticed how suddenly he stopped cribbing, and so watched him for a few days. 
he saw that the bay colt was in earnest, that he drew the log up and down without making any fuss, and was soon hitched with his mother to a plow. The dappled gray and the blind horse were also plowing that day, and they called across from their field. "'Fine day for plowing,' they said. "'Perfect,' answered the bay colt. "'Did you notice the last furrow we turned? "'Can you do any better than that? "'If I had jumped, it would have been crooked instead of straight, "'and if I had stopped, it wouldn't be done yet.' "'Good furrow! Wonderful furrow!' "'answered the dappled gray. "'Always knew you'd be a good worker when you got down to it. "'You are one of us now, one of the working horses. "'Glad of it. Goodbye. "'And he turned away to start his plow across the field again. "'Well, do you like being grown up?' said the bay colt's mother to him. "'Like it?' he answered with a laugh. "'I'm so proud I don't know what to do.' I wouldn't go back to the old life of all play for anything in the world. And my little cousin made me see my mistakes. Was there ever another colt as foolish as I? A great many of them, said his mother. More than you would guess. They kick and bite and try to run because they cannot always have their way. And then, when they've tried the farmer's way and begin to pay for his care of them, they find it much better than the life of all play. Colts, will be Colts. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Greatest Love Stories, and we're going to follow this with The Night Moth with the Crooked Feeler. So in case you haven't had a chance to hear it or would like to hear it again, we have it for you now. But first, a message from our sponsor. And now, back to our show. Hello everyone, and welcome back to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We've received a bunch of great reviews lately, and I wanted to thank you all for sending them. I do read them, and at the end of this episode, I'll share the latest ones. This episode actually answers two recent reviews, one asking if I can read a few more classics by women authors, and one of our fans who listens with their young children was not too pleased that I didn't place a content warning for language on one of my episodes, but they didn't name which one. I had to rack my brain to guess which episode it was. We're about as squeaky clean as you can be over here, and I'm guessing it was the Hemingway piece we did. And you know what? I should have put a content warning on that one. I am very, very proud that 1001 Classic Short Stories has a large family and homeschooler audience, in addition to our adult audience. And now, our story. And now, The Night Moth with a Crooked Feeler by Clara Dillingham Pearson. The beautiful, brilliant butterflies of the meadow had many cousins living in the forest, most of whom were night moths. They also were very beautiful creatures, but they dressed in duller colors and did not have slender waists. Some of the butterflies, you know, wear whole gowns of black and yellow. Others have stripes of black and white, while some have clear yellow, with only a bit of black trimming the edges of the wings. The moths usually wear brown and have it brightened with touches of buff or dull blue. If they do wear bright colors, it is only on the back pair of wings, and when the moth alights, he slides his front pair of wings over these and covers all the brightness. They do not rest with their wings folded over their heads like the butterflies, but leave them flat. All day long, when the sun is shining, the moths have to rest on trees and dead leaves. If they were dressed in yellow or red, 
any passing bird would see them, and there's no telling what might happen. As it is, their brown wings are so nearly the color of dead leaves or bark that you might often look right at them without seeing them. Yet even among moths, there are some more brightly colored than others, and when you find part of the family quietly dressed, you can know it is because they have to lay the eggs. Moths are safer in dull colors, and the egg layers should always be the safest of all. If anything happened to them, you know, there'd be no caterpillar babies. One day, a fine-looking Cracopia moth came out of her chrysalis and clung to the nearest twig while her wings grew and dried and flattened. At first they had looked like tiny brown leaves all drenched with rain and wrinkled by somebody stepping on them. The fur on her fat body was matted and wet, and even her feelers were damp and stuck to her head. Her six beautiful legs were weak and trembling, and she moved her body restlessly while she tried again and again to raise her crumpled wings. She had not been there so very long when she noticed another Cricopia moth near her, clinging to the underside of a leaf. He was also just out of the chrysalis and was drying himself. "'Good morning,' he cried. "'I think I knew you when we were caterpillars. Fine day to break the chrysalis, isn't it?' "'Lovely,' she answered. "'I remember you very well. You were the caterpillar who showed me where to find food last summer, when the hot weather had withered so many of the plants.' "'I thought you would recall me,' he said. "'and when we were spinning our chrysalises we visited together. "'Do you remember that also?' "'Miss Cricopia did. "'She had been thinking of that when she first spoke, "'but she hoped he had forgotten. "'To tell the truth, he had been rather fond of her the fall before, "'and she, thinking him the handsomest caterpillar of her acquaintance, "'had smiled upon him and suggested that they spin their cocoons near each other. "'During the long winter she had regretted this. "'I was very foolish.' she thought, to encourage him. When I get my wings, I may meet people who are better off than he. Now I shall have to be polite to him for the sake of old friendship. I only hope that he will make other acquaintances and leave me free. I must get into the best society. All this time her neighbor was thinking, I'm so glad to see her again, so glad. When my wings are dry, I will fly over to her and we will go through the forest together. He was a kind, warm-hearted fellow who cared more for friendship than for beauty or family. Meanwhile, their wings were growing fast and drying and flattening so that by noon they could begin to raise them above their heads. They were very large moths, and their wings were of a soft dust color with little clear transparent places in them and touches of the most beautiful blue, quite the shade worn by the peacock who lived on the farm. There was a brown and white border to their wings, and on their bodies and legs the fur was white and dark orange. When the Cracopias rest, they spread their wings out flat, and do not slide the front pair over the others as their cousins, the sphinxes, do. The most wonderful of all, though, are their feelers. The butterflies have stiff feelers on their heads, with little knobs on the ends, or sometimes with part of them thick, like tiny clubs. The night moths have many kinds of feelers, most of them being curved, and those of the Cracopias look like reddish-brown feathers pointed at the end. Miss Cracopia's feelers were perfect, and she waved them happily to and fro. Those of her friend 
she was troubled to see, were not what they should have been. One of them was all right. The other was small and crooked. Oh, dear, she said to herself. How does that look? I hope he will not try to be attentive to me. He did not mind it much. He thought about other things than looks. As night came, a polyphemous moth fluttered past. Good evening, cried he. Are you just out? There are a lot of Cracopias coming out today. Miss Cracopia felt quite agitated when she heard this and wondered if she looked all right. Her friend flew over to her just as she raised her wings for flight. Let me go with you, he said. While she was wondering how she could answer him, several other Cracopias came along. They were all more brightly colored than she. Hello, cried one of them as he alighted beside her. First-rate night, isn't it? He was a handsome fellow, and his feelers were perfect, but Miss Cracopia did not like his ways, and she drew away from him just as her friend knocked him off the branch. While they were fighting, another of the strangers flew to her. May I sit here? he asked. Yes, she murmured, thinking her chance had come to get into society. I must say that it served the fellow right for his rudeness to you, said the stranger in his sweetest way. But who is the moth who is punishing him, that queer-looking one with the crooked feeler? Sir, said she, moving farther from him, he is a friend of mine, and I do not think it matters to you if he is queer-looking. Oh, said the stranger, oh, 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 you have a bad temper, haven't you? But you are very good-looking in spite of that. There is no telling what he would have said next, for at this minute Miss Cracopia's friend heard the mean things he was saying and flew against him. It was not long before this stranger also was punished, and then the moth with the crooked feeler turned to the others. Do any of you want to try it? he said. You must understand that you cannot be rude before her. And he pointed his right foreleg at Miss Cracopia as she sat trembling on the branch. Her? they cried mockingly as they flew away. There are prettier moths than she. We don't care anything for her. Miss Cracopia's friend would have gone after them to punish them for this impoliteness, but she clung to him and begged him not to. You will be killed. I know you will, she sobbed. And then what will become of me? Would you miss me? He asked as he felt one of his wings, now broken and bare. Yes, she cried. You're the best friend I have. Please don't go. But I'm just a homely fellow, he said. I don't see how you can like me since I broke my wing. Well, I do like you, she said. Your wing isn't much broken after all, and I like your crooked feeler. It's so different from anybody else's. Miss Cracopia looked very happy as she spoke, and she quite forgot how she once decided to go away from him. There are some people you know who can change their minds in such a sweet and easy way that we almost love them the better for it. One certainly could love Miss Cracopia for this, because it showed that she had learned to care more for a warm heart and courage than for whole wings and straight feelers. Mr. Cracopia did not live long after this, unfortunately, but they were very, very happy together, and she often said to her friends, as she laid her eggs in the best places, 
I only hope that when my caterpillar babies are grown and have come out of their chrysalids, they may be as good and brave as their father was. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales.